welcome to another edition of Mr. Nice Guy. I am Ben Slowey, and I am joined today by uh, two folks uh, who run the uh, studio Kneverland Productions. They're they're hosting a live uh, concert series called The Ring, and uh, they are also in a band, an experimental alternative rock band called Loop and Air, and they've got a record out that came out in 2019. It's called Involuntary Exposure. I'm excited to talk to them about their passions, artistry, and why they do what they do. Thank you very much, Kat and Paul Knievers, for joining me today. Thank you for having us. Indeed. Thank you very much for having us. You're welcome. How are you guys doing? Good. Awesome. On my second cup of coffee. (laughs) Good. I've had two cups today as well. Um, That's usually how I start my days as well. Kat, how about you? Do you drink coffee? Always. (laughs) Always. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah. I need a lot of it. We, we do that rare, oh my God, I still need another cup at 4 p.m. thing, um, which is entirely justified depending where you're at. I think you did one at 5 p.m. yesterday for the webcast. Oh, yeah. Right? yeah well. <laughs> the afternoon coffee, which normally we don't do, we cut off somewhere early afternoon but yesterday there was evening coffee oh, no yeah. the, worst is, the worst is when you know you have your your coffee and your thermos and you're like yay this is gonna be very pleasant and then you set it down and you just never get around to drinking it at all but you know it smells great so yeah very yeah uh yeah the aroma is nice in, in of itself but i'm big on the uh, the mid-afternoon pick-me-up as well uh, i usually have a cup around three or four um especially when like i have to do one of these like that time like i'm usually crashing and i'm crabby i need i need some more caffeine so yeah in this line of work you really need it (laughs) why is it that there's such a a a a definitive difference between the coffee we make at home which is wonderful no matter which one of us does it and you know everyone has their secret measurement and then you go to the coffee shop and you get that just that that different s that raw essence that just kind of goes i am caffeine yeah and it doesn't feel the same as at home so sometimes it requires professionals a coffee shop visit to a trusted trained experienced professional to deliver a little higher quality and i guess that's a metaphor for many things we do in life we try to do a lot of things but boy professionals just do it better sometimes yeah yeah that's an interesting uh, observation and you're not wrong. Like I have noticed that where some like I'll have a cup of coffee like out at like yeah a coffee shop or somewhere that has like an actual like uh, you know espresso bar or something and yeah it'll just wire me like it'll it'll get me off the rails. But I don't know if it has to do with like the preservatives in our commercialized like home use coffee or whatever, but that just isn't quite as potent. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe there can be some research done into that. Excellent. I see a new uh, plan no, for 2021. I, I, I have a serious, serious <laughs> yeah. research project. So um, we'll get beans from, you know, our favorite local purveyors. There's a, there's a few of them. And, you know, we have certain flavors that we're like, oh, it's so good. But um, honestly, I have not been to a coffee shop in over a year and a half. 
you know, yeah. like actually going. I know it's so sad. No, we went but, to uh, the one uh, uh, Deja Brew. Up oh, here. okay. Yeah, there's a little yeah. coffee but, shop. But in Milwaukee, I haven't gone to any usual coffee haunts to get a cup of coffee in you know so long. So I actually want to try that. Like, get a cup of you know just the straight black coffee of a certain variety try that and then make it at home and then that would be a whole nother podcast oh god yeah <laughs> we are currently we are currently um for a couple of a brief couple of days uh at our northwoods location oh cool um, which is my parents cabin um hence the the uh yeah the wood everywhere nice. and uh we do have a little home studio up here so um when the whole um pandemic thing happened i was deep into mixing a bunch of albums and so i really never had one day off um yeah. but we stayed up here a little longer because it was beautiful so last time this year um i was mixing broken era yeah uh broken era cloud effect uh, some friends of mine they just released an album msc did some some uh drops of it cool it's really cool eclectic stuff and i did the um what was it? Rye Catchers, a buddy of mine who is a singer songwriter. He has been, he dropped like 25 um, songs this year, uh, which would be called, it's kind of like, boy, a really heavy pop. Uh, oh. But I produced that album um, last year and he's got some astounding numbers, uh, you know, 30 to 50,000 hits on Spotify every month. Just a guy from Milwaukee who's a singer-songwriter and doing a good job at writing awesome. and promo. So we did uh, we we did a lot of mixing. Um, this Northwoods little hideaway, uh, Lova Nova, uh, the jazz band I play Hammond in, our fourth album, third album, sorry, we recorded up here in 36 hours. Which and is why the album was called Cabanova. And we're lucky it was shitty weather because, well, if it would have been nice out, it would have been hard to be focused because there's so many... You know, we're going to go for a bike ride There's today. There's so many trees the to walk around. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, the trees call to you. But I uh, think, you know, my mom and dad um, got this place 20 years ago. And we it's an old hunter's cabin. It's yeah. not fancy or, or large. But we keep it going for family members. My niece is coming up here in a couple of weeks. And, uh, and boy, when you're up here, you know, we're so involved. Like in our normal life, we live in a band house. Yeah you know because we have practice rooms adjacent to our kitchen oh yeah and, yeah and um there's some bands um oh, uh, resurrection resurrectionist oh, Astro, i love that band. They, yeah. they all practice adjacent to our kitchen um and so it's really charming but at the same time sometimes i need to get away from humans and so this is an, an escape where we can be creative yeah. and get away and a lot of the albums that we work on are in some part arranged or messed with or edited or uh, up here where, where I have head headspace time. Yeah. It's hard to have with all of our business stuff going on in, in town. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. You need that tranquility for sure. Um, even I if gotta it's... Announce a new, a new thing that's coming up is uh, we're, we're taking over a huge new space in town and there's going to be more band practice rooms. Great. Awesome. One week away from the official announcement. Oh, awesome. This won't be out by then. So uh, this will already be a thing. So uh, where where is it? Um, on uh, First and National. Oh, that's great. That's right in the heart. Right in the heart. 
Yeah, we're really lucky to have an opportunity to do more creative spaces because, um, you know, the practice room thing, there's a history of cool, weird spaces in Milwaukee. Yeah. Uh, the Sausage Factory, remember the Sausage Factory? Oh. On the east side, mm-hmm. River West, it was this weird old dungeon-esque building where there always seemed to be water running on the floor and, and bands practiced there. <laughs> and then oh, nice. Sydney, yeah. High, Sydney High was, you know, a legend. Um, but there's been a real dearth of places to safely make noise and we're lucky to have a place where you can do that right on yeah Uh, definitely and we're definitely um i can't wait to hear even more stories um we're definitely going to get get into all of that so cat and paul what we talk about uh on mr nice guy we talk love and fear passion and creativity and i think i actually first met you paul when you were doing a sound at the cooperage um yeah I think it was for the N43 Presents show, which was about a year and a half ago. Oh, that was oh, awesome. Yeah, yeah Jesse. Uh, Jesse uh, Carl's thing, yeah. 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 yeah, it was a ton of fun. Yeah, I had a great time doing that. Um, yeah, and uh, I've been seeing you guys, uh, you know, doing your thing, staying busy during quarantine with the ring. And uh, it's very exciting stuff. Um, so before we get into everything in the present, let's take it back a bit. So where are you guys originally from? Where did you guys grow up? I was going to say here, but no, we're not here. <laughs> Where am I? <laughs> um, no, at Waukesha. And um, then I've lived in Milwaukee now forever. So, yep. yeah. I grew up in South Milwaukee on the South Side and uh, lived in a couple other states, but most of my life been in Milwaukee County. Awesome. Right on. Um, well, I guess I'd love to hear a little bit about uh, how music all kind of started for you guys. Um, so, yeah, Cat, uh, you can go first. Um, oh, no. Where did it all start? <laughs> oh, I don't know. Um, oh, I've just always, you know, kind of dabbled around in it and, you know, done little projects and, uh, you know, programmed things and written little bits and pieces and um, stuff like that. And then, you know, worked with other, other people on stuff. And then Paul had, um, well, actually, oh, wow, you were recording something with a band and then you're like, oh, you should come in and do some backup vocals or something. <laughs> I was like, All right. um, and then I think we, I don't know, we started working on something after that. So, yeah. Yeah, you've, you've scored probably several dozen backup vocal gigs just from being around the studio and singing that stuff, Whoa. which is, yeah. <laughs> hey, come in and sing a part. That's awesome. Yeah. That's um, cool. Yeah. Um, Kat, did you grow up singing? Uh, not really. <laughs> no, I mean, you know, doing like music stuff in, in school and, you know, you're in choir, playing in bands um, or, you know, the orchestra, something like that. Um, my first instrument was the oboe. Oh, oboes. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. You still have yeah. Oboe? No, but I wish I did. No doubt. Because, you know, especially, you know, in retrospect, I'm really sorry I ever gave it up because it's such a beautiful instrument and it's like, you know, so interesting and kind of mournful. But um, my parents had this old organ and I would funk around on that. And I remember being like, a you know, just a little child and you'd make up songs. You're like, oh, this is fun, you know? You know, now so, that- you know and then it was like, oh, you'd become the teenager. I'm like, I'm saving my babysitting money for a keyboard. <laughs> so I hear, yeah. I hear oboe 
in some Lupinar songs in the future? Oh, <laughs> there you go. Absolutely. <laughs> it's hey. been a while. I better practice. Oh my God. The but, spawn um, of innovation for sure. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, I, I was a clarinet in middle school. So yeah, I remember, yeah, the oboe. I've heard it's like one of the most difficult uh, instruments to learn in band as a kid. The double reeds. Yeah, it was, but it was kind of funny because uh, when I started learning it, my older brother played the bassoon. So, you know, it was yeah. kind of, yeah, kind of funny. So we're like, you know, right there in, in uh, band class. So I hear in my head when I think of oboe, like some really beautiful stuff, melodic. My sister has written some great oboe stuff, mm -hmm. but then I also hear these remarkable, yeah, <laughs> which you can do which, that on saxophone in, in a Noi in a Coltrane Dolphy esque jazz way. If you could make those in tune or out of tune in a way that you planned, that could be a whole thing too. Like, okay, so yeah. I guess secretly, <laughs> secretly, whenever we're at a music store or something, and they've like the used instrument sections, I guess. I've always kind of thought if I ever see a used oboe, <laughs> well, you'd have to carry Just your own reeds. You should carry oh, your yeah, own reeds. Oh my of God! Course. You know what? You can make your own. Instrument. You could be like the guitar player who shows up and plays "Stairway to Heaven." Everybody would know your name and be like, "She's here." No, I want to play yeah. the Careless Whisper saxophone thing on oboe because you know. Yeah. Oh, that's dope. That's awesome. <laughs> Any time in the studio, or I don't know, you, you work with a bunch of groups, or you have um, you know, like Stacky Mad come in for for uh, love, and I think wasn't that one of the people who did? It? I don't know, but everyone always breaks that out. It's just kind of funny. So cool. Yeah. Awesome. Paul, how about you? How did music all kind of start in your life? My dad was a music educator at South Milwaukee for thirty six years, so my sister and I it was we were strongly encouraged to take music lessons at a very young age um, so i took piano at cardinal stritch college and then um i did my first recital i think at six years old um and, yeah uh, so i got to i got to play on a, a number of really wonderful pianos and learn classical music then i did trumpet bought my first arp odyssey synthesizer in hammond oregon with money i saved for my paper route when i was 14. i was playing bar gigs when I was 14 years old routinely. Um, it wasn't a big deal. The drinking age was 18 then. So it was much more of, a, I guess, a socially libertarian European business model for music yeah. and bars. And um, so I went through the whole cultural shift of having music be like the only entertainment form to seeing, well, it's been like playback forms. First, there was vinyl eight tracks cassettes reel to reel you know we've seen so many different playback forms just like we've seen the audience and business model for music change in my lifetime has been profound you know um but my dad it's all my dad's fault for for being a music educator and i still run into people um who are like your dad uh eek was he eek yep earl edwin knievers they got him license plates one of his class <laughs> said eek. oh cool and people come up to me like, your dad taught me how to play and fill in the instrument. Nice. Uh, but on the downside, I never got away with anything in high school because all the teachers would just go and tell my dad what I was doing. So I, so I um, being a teacher's kid has its uh, pluses and minuses. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I bet. <laughs> I bet, yeah, um, for sure. 
but those gigs uh just um well, one of my favorite gigs I ever played, 1976, before the bicentennial, we had a band called Antmoot, which is the meeting place of the Ents. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. Lord of the Rings. So we had a band called Antmoot, and we played in Grant Park right before the fireworks of the bicentennial for about 8,000 people. I was 16 oh, when I did that show. That was one of my favorite shows still. Uh, we opened for Todd Rundgren at the Palms in that band, I think, too, when I was cool. 17 or 18. Um, so I've been doing a lot, you know, playing shows for a bunch of years. Um, the current, um, lineups that we have are reflective of all the different musical tastes that's in my head from all the different experiences that come from being a musician since I was five, <laughs> which is, it's not something I can ever stop doing. It's just something that's going to change, you know, right. When Katie and I started jamming, actually, I, I first mixed one of her bands at the globe in the globe days. Um, oh, which yeah. one was it? Pre-Ophelia Sweet Demise. What? Really? Yeah, in the Globe days, there was like. Was it Infamous? I think so. Oh, yeah. really? And uh, and so we we've known each other for decades, for a bunch of decades. Um, Is that how you met? Well, we we re we hooked, we hooked up. And then we about, had like mutual friends, yeah. and we kept running into each other yeah. for a couple of years, maybe eight years ago, and started running into each other, and then we started hanging out. Um, but automatically, the musical um, vibe, there are several friends in my, in my life who have this ability to pick up any instrument and play it, and, and, and it's relevant because they listen. And so, you know, it may not be their instrument of choice or the one they, they practice scales on, or, but they have an ear and they pick up this instrument and what they add is automatically like, hey, that's really creative. Katie's got that ability. She's one of the few people in my life I've ever met who, I don't care what instrument you put in her hand, she's going to make something that's going to contribute yeah. to the band. Um, oh, yeah. Brian Jansen from Skip Tracer, and he was in um, uh, uh, Black Belt Theater for a while, also like that. A great musician. Oh, yeah. Uh, um, yeah, there's a uh, Gino um, from The Etiquette, also a guy like that. Whatever you put in Gino's hands. Uh, but I know a lot of uh, talented musicians that are not you know, limited to one instrument. I think that being a musician is, it's like in every pore of your body, you know, yeah, right. if you're a, a musician, musician. It's weaved into the fabric of your perceptions. Yeah. You can never escape it. You can try to run away. Big mistake. Yeah. <laughs> How know? about that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, that's good. Nice. Um, cool. Well, then I took my question. I was going to ask how you, you two met. Um, so, uh, how did uh, Loop and Air start? Where did where did the band? Uh, how did that conversation begin? We we had a band. Um, I was in 1992. I was writing these thrashy um, punk metal songs with a friend friend of mine, Dave Stacklewitz, and actually Brian Jansen was in that band as well, and. Um, Tim Burtnett, who, who was also the drummer in Skip Tracer and the Stanleys and um, Contusionado, another band that I was in with Tim, was the drummer. And so we had this thrashy punk thing going on uh, that we called the Church of Anarchy, a great name for the 1992 band. And we actually played Summerfest. We were rated by the stage crew to be the worst band to ever play the rock stage. Oh, geez. Which I thought was the best compliment 
that anybody could ever ever give us well, you have to tell in, them in, about the set. in, in 1993 because <laughs> we had like 42 minutes of music and we had to play an hour 15 so i started the set with um a wind-up turntable and uh some records i got at a rummage sale that were in a box that said dental records and and i thought oh this is like x-rays of someone's teeth this is a cool find and i opened it up and it, it was vinyl records of famous people from like the 40s talking about dental hygiene wow like spoken <laughs> word dental <Wow>. hygiene. <laughs> so so i started the set um with dental high with Bing Crosby talking about dental hygiene. Wow. Okay. It was very arty, you know, at yeah. the time. And um, and then we brought refrigerator boxes on stage and we duct taped them together and we built a hotel. Um, and we cut holes in the boxes and stuck our heads through, and that's how we sang sticking our heads through the cardboard hotel. Um <laughs> So that was the Church of Anarchy there's in 1990. No there's no, I don't know. There's no video. We, but. Have, we have a worldwide appeal. If anyone has video of it. But it was a painting that we got to play. Uh, Marilyn and me uh, uh, spoke up. I think that was the third out of maybe I've played, you know, three dozen times now at Summerfest in different bands. But yeah. that was a fun show. It's ahead of its time. <laughs> we, we cleared the benches except for the, the kids who crowded the stage which was like, that's what I want anyhow, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, but that band broke up shortly after that gig and the songs never got released. Sure. And then about 20 years later, Stax and I got together. I don't know, just we, we ran into each other through mutual friends and we we're like, hey, what about those songs we wrote? You know, hey, let's, let's like redo them or something. And so I had written a whole bunch of other songs that were thrashy. In this band, I write the music on bass guitar and more than guitar. Most of it's written on bass. Uh, different bands I write on different instruments, like the songs, it, it leads me to different stuff. So on the bass, I like to play really punky, thrashy stuff. I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And Joe Sanfilippo, the bass player, takes what I write and plays it correctly because mm -hmm. he's such a better bass player than I am. Um, so we're lucky, you know, he, he was in the crosses, he's in um, um, pop control, pop, population control, one of his other bands. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cadaver, an incredible bass player, just can play anything. Population and, control rips. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. For sure. They practice off of our kitchen, too. So yeah. we, uh, you get mashups when you're in our kitchen, you hear bands from different sides of you. So depending yeah. what night of the week is, you'll get the Astro Cadaver. Well, no, you never get the Astro Cadaver population control mashup because Joe's in both bands. Oh, but yeah. <laughs> that would be way too weird. That'd be cool. Oh, <laughs> Welcome to Cadaverland. Uh, yeah. um, but then, so Dave and I started, um, you know, doing this, and I approached Eric Olson, who's played with a million bands. Um, yeah. Jamie DeWicky, he he toured with her for a while and Astro Cadaver and um, I've known Eric for decades. He's a great thrashy drummer who can play weird time signatures without blinking an eye. And so we got together with him and jammed and Dave and I were like, wow, this is cool. So then we started writing new material. So five Lupinar songs out of the 14 that we have are songs that Dave and I wrote in 1992. Oh, wow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then all the rest are new stuff. Yeah, that has been uh, and we have even more material that we're about to record. Yeah. One of those songs that has that like really long timeline, it's called Nothing You Say. And it's hilarious because you did that 
originally with the first and the, I, you've you've redone that song like eight times <laughs> and also the rye catchers have a really awesome awesome version of it too yeah there's a pop like a Mar mariah carey kind of cover of this song yeah, with but... jane joyce singing oh my god she's <laughs> yeah. got oh i love jane joyce so oh much. my god yeah she's great so she was a vocalist on all the rye catcher stuff or a lot of it from last year yeah the female vocals are all yeah. jane yeah oh, so there's a loop in our song that also has a jane joyce version um that's very radio pop um and the first version of nothing you say was a reggae version which i don't have a recording of but it's a song that got reworked for i think six different bands the only song i've written i wrote it in 1986 no early in that 84 and it's the only song i've written that's been done that many times in different wow, yeah. wow. <laughs> what a time capsule <laughs> yeah. but yeah. there is version number five or six on the lupinar record Oh wow, dope. Okay, so so the band's been around for what? Uh, so how long? Around what year? Like, well, I mean, no, actually, three this, years. Yeah, because um, we did singles. We, yeah. Well, no, but we got married, and that's what you when you started. You were writing the other stuff. That's right. Other right, additional songs. Right after we got married, yeah, I so had that was like 2017, and then you had like a month off. And then you were just like, happy. he was the happiest clam in the world. Well, because I had just, I had just quit have my have job. Coffee, have coffee in the morning and then go in the studio with coffee and he would just be there writing all day. I, I was on a long-term contract for a very good audio gig that wasn't my vibe. A really good paying gig that made me not smile for uh -huh. a long time. And I can't say the name because I respect the organization. But when I didn't go back, after we got married, I took a leave of absence and then didn't go back because it was all a good thing. Then I smiled a lot and I wrote like three albums of music immediately. Um, oh, and we started recording immediately, Kate, right after we got married, we started recording Lupinar and Tinsel Rabbit. We were working on those songs. Oh, yeah. And, but the first thing we came out was the three singles, Content 1, Content 2, and Content 3. Oh, yeah. Okay. And then we did three release shows in three days. We did Frank's Power Plant on Friday, Sabbatic on Saturday, oh, yeah. and Liniman's on Sunday. Yeah, that was oh, super cool. cool. That was an awesome weekend. Nice. So you had to hit every. You had to hit every neighborhood. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was. Yep. Kind of, yeah, that was kind of the plan. It yeah. was fun. It was incredible. It was like a mini Milwaukee tour. Yeah. Oh, and then, um, <laughs> then that was the same year we played four one four day at the bottle with size fives. Yep. And it was a huge snowstorm. So yeah, up oh, yeah. until April a couple years ago, up until the album release, we had been doing really fun shows um, with friends of ours who who we love to play, you know, in any or work in any context with. And then we released the album. And we did the one release show at the Pabst Tap Room with Murder Generation oh, yeah. and Arrow. Yeah, and oh, then yeah. the pandemic hit two yes. weeks later. Yeah, so yeah. it was like that was that was the last show. Wait yeah. a time, an we album release. A, a yeah, <laughs> for real. As far as I know, that might might have been. I don't know if no. I, yeah, that was uh, yeah, 2019. R.I.P. Pabst Tap Room. Oh Rest, yeah. R.I.P. Also, R.I.P. Yeah, we lost Up and Under as well. We lost the Riverwest Public House. Yeah. Um, it's a shame. It is. It is. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm hoping for you know at least we get a good. Uh, array we we get a really good cast of uh, outdoor shows this summer for sure yeah yep. i know cactus club has one coming up friday yeah. so yay 
Hell yeah. 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 Um, yeah, fun fact, actually, I saw Murder Generation's first show ever as a band. It was at High Dive. Awesome. Oh, cool. Yeah. Well, we just yeah. uh, we just finished the second album. I produced the second album with them, co-produced, and um, it's coming out this in May. And, in May, and yeah. they are playing the Ring Live Music series. They're on our the featured artist. Sunday of the month. Oh, cool. yeah. I believe is May 30th. Yep. So awesome. I think that's 6 p.m. Yeah. May 3rd, Sunday, the last Sunday, which I believe is May 30th. And it's going to be awesome. Sweet. I, I love them. Their songs are, they're both serious and silly at the same time. Yeah. They have things you can sing along to. Um, much of the content is, is social commentary in a way that's snarky, offensive, and incite insightful. Yeah, so, I mean, there's so many good things about Murder Generation. Um, I've recorded a bunch of punk rock. Um, I think they're my. They're, it's a toss-up between. I did one album with um, folks from the Exploited and uh, UK Subs, um, Billy Club. I did a Billy Club album in I think '93, and I'd say Murder Generation and Billy Club are like the two favorite punk albums I've ever worked on. Oh, dope! No awesome. question. Yeah. Shout out to yeah. them so solid they are so solid and talented and you know tom the drummer amazes me he's a minimalist well in this band and having worked with so many different drummers who play you know big kits small kits people who are minimalist they tend to use the few things they have in different ways so yeah. like if you want to watch something artistic watch tom playing in a punk band play his ride cymbal like a jazz drummer all these different tones like he's up here he's down there he's you know he's got 12 different ways to play the freaking ride cymbal oh wow yeah in a punk band that's so awesome you can get yeah first time i saw him i was like i was at quarters remember oh, yeah. at quarters we went to check him out before i recorded the first album and uh and i was just like that drummer just blew me away he had so many tones and you know it was challenging to hear the vocals it was quarters and yeah. um and i love quarters <laughs> yeah <laughs> But the ride, his playing of the ride symbol just totally sucked me right into the band. And I remember that night just, yeah. you know, leaving there going just nonstop about that drummer really was creative. And I feel <laughs> that way about Rich's vote and Trisha's vocals, their style. Um, you know, Trisha's just this little firehouse on bass, just, you know, yeah. Um, yeah. She's, she's what, five, four, but she plays like she's 10 feet tall. Yeah. Yeah. I was setting like literally like a foot away from her when I saw them, like, I was on the bar stool and yeah, they, you know, high dive. It's a pretty close knit, close knit place to see a show. And yeah, that was really fun. You also brought up uh, size fives and those guys rule too. They were actually on the show recently. Nice. Oh, cool. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Shout out to Juan and Ryan for sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, size fives are also one of the artists we're featuring in our webcast series. Yeah. Um, I did I August... mention that we love them? Um, Lakefront Brewery and WMSC, who are our primary sponsors for the series. We oh, very good. Couldn't do it without them. And we've had Rushmore Records and Gavard Chiropractic also sponsors from shows and are helping us out with the Size 5 show. The idea was we'd get some community sponsorship so the bands could get a little money because it's hard to get paid as musicians. So we're, we're able to offer a guarantee of money for the webcast and do the webcast with the bands. Sweet. But Size 5s are in August. August and yes. we're thinking we're gonna do some little 
fun things like maybe have an opening band outside in the parking lot. And if we could get some ramps in there, then we could actually have like some skating with the oh, music, nice. like it should be, you know, and yeah. we have a parking lot. So it's just, um, we're negotiating with the landlord to get them to pave the lot at the right time. Cause they, they yeah. do coding it every year. And it's really nice for a couple of weeks after that. So if we can get the lot coded right before the size five show, that would be good timing. Hey, well, I know some some guys in the skate scene, so we'll get them in. We'll get them over there. That sounds like fun. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> yeah, dude. Uh, what is what? Is, so, uh, what does the word lupinaire mean? Where, what what does that mean? Um, I was watching a thing on PBS, and it was talking about um, the city of Pompeii, hmm. and um, the lupinarium was um the uh the largest um uh, uh well according to what they could find from records but the largest den of ill repute in the city of pompeii that's one definition the other definition is uh, uh a being of wolfen like character okay i like that right on awesome okay um well i feel like that's uh yeah that kind of uh suits the really like uh noisy and cacophonous uh, rock that you guys do there yep. um so that being said so yeah your record came out in 2019 uh what are you guys working on now uh for that project well we're doing uh a show on my birthday june oh. 16th oh right on yeah and it's going to be three bands i'm actually in more bands than three but these are the three active ones. Yeah. Um, the one band I'm in has been around since 91, has been working on their album since then, and is this close to releasing it after several decades. <laughs> um, oh, they're not on the show, by the way. They're not on the show, no. but that, but there's some band, some music projects have different time incubators that you should never define what's correct or incorrect. And that's why we've been patient with Lupinar because it took a couple of years to get to the first album. And we got set back by the pandemic, all of us. But what's on the future now is to pick up where we left off mm, cool. and to promote the album. And now we have a webcast stage and my birthday's coming up. So we're going to do Lupinar, Tinsel Rabbit, and Lovanova sets Fun. all on June 16th. Sweet. Oh, that'll be, that'll be a great time. Yeah, uh, you're gonna have a blast paul that'll yeah. be a, yeah. right <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah well wicked uh looking forward to that one then uh so um and you said it's uh gonna be on the webcast stage it's gonna yeah. be webcast and we may have uh because it'll be warm there may be uh like we did with the vincent van great bubbler show in july we put a big screen out in the parking lot and people were able, we put a porta potty out there and um, had little tents so people could like restaurants do, you could have six people in a tent mm. um, and had people be able to watch the show while safely um, distancing in the parking lot. So we, we probably, if it's nice out, we'll also project that out and have some limited attendance uh, of people to hang out and watch the show. Oh, oh, sweet. Well, yeah. Uh, awesome. So, uh, speaking of Tinsel Rabbit, yeah, uh, so that band, you guys dropped a couple singles a couple months ago on uh, Bandcamp. Uh, we we got a hold of uh, one of those on Breaking and Entering. Um, 
yeah, uh, tell me more about that project, how that one started. An Insonic EPS. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Dave, Dave from Rye Catchers found a guy who could fix my EPS. And okay. so I'd had the sampler and it has like really cool sounds and an easy to use sequencer. And so I started writing these like 80s-esque drum parts. Mm -hmm. And then Katie and I collaborated and, you know, she wrote um, melodies and vocals. And it's more an expression of our love for um, some styles of music that are not currently represented. And so it's kind of like a melding of 80s electro dance dark pop. Yeah. And, you know, the weirdness that is in my head. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's like a shadowy neo new wave. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> people have people have said it's like Blondie meets Bauhaus, which is oh, an interesting yeah. way of putting it. And, and I think that's probably pretty, it could be a relevant comparison. Yeah. I like that. That's that's very unique. I don't know of anything else like that going on around here. So that's, uh, you know, it's uh, inventive. Uh, well, so every yeah. song's been written already, right? I mean, we're just rehashing. If you look at the computer analysis now of this song is like, this song is like, you know, you could get sued for copyright infringement for just about anything you write if someone goes deep enough on it. Sure, um, yeah. You know, one song we did in Junk Food, um, one of the bands I'm still in that's been on the longest hiatus of a band I've ever been in, but Jeff Hamilton and I have a noise band. Um, the last show we did was at the Miramar like seven years ago. Uh, but we did a song and a friend of mine was like, oh man, you stole that riff from Anthrax. And I've never listened to an Anthrax album in my life. I mean, I respect the band. I'm not an anti-Anthrax. It's just not in my... Yeah, not in your itinerary. Yet. Yeah. But damn it, if I put the song on and it was a direct exact riff copy <laughs> yeah <laughs> and yeah that is um kind of a thing to think about as uh music evolves and uh th there is just it's so vast and it it seems very seamless but you never know what uh you might like involuntarily be like replicating or something like that it's yeah. I think I'm going to start uh, adopting bits and pieces from like medieval chants, you know, just because. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, now you I said it, you said an important word, though, that we should uh, pull back to involuntary. Ah. Right. Because of Lupinari album title, involuntary exposure. And part of it, you know, the, the cover is built to be like a Polaroid slide. Mm -hmm. And um, my original idea for the artwork was far more expensive than what we went with. I wanted it to be a, a broken up, burned piece of film embedded in the, you know, it, yeah, it, it would have been 10 more dollars to do that. So instead, it's just a picture of the slide. But um, I've been making my own slides for decades where I take the slides from other people's vacations and I mutate them with nail polish because the projector won't burn the nail polish once it's cured. Any other paint melts. I tried it and it's messy and you got to clean your projector. Yeah. <laughs> or, or, or you can burn it with a flame um, and that makes it change colors just like when you hold heat under a Polaroid while it develops. So the little um, slides I've created um, part of my noise show series uh, for one of my solo projects, um, which is um, the noise machine. 
that I have an album that I'm ready to release. Um, and it's a completely concept. It's called Universe of Choice. And it's a noise album, but that's going to come out this year as well. Uh, had slideshows of the burnt slides, one of which is the Lupinar cover. Oh. So it's also it's a visual thing of that. Now our our world is full of involuntary exposure. That literally, we all take our cloaks off, virtually and in real life daily through all the different surveillance voluntary and involuntary that we do that's done to us and so the album has a lot of lyrical content that are pictures portraits of concepts of personal exposure the exposure you do to yourself or the exposure that happens when you leave the house yeah other people's judging you yeah. for one reason or another your clothes you know uh, uh, who you are name and ism will fill in the blank with a story but it's all about the, the change in context of human life where it used to be a very personal experience, very limited exposure yeah. to now we're, we're all bearing our souls on a daily yeah. basis. And, and so the album is me lyrically, because I wrote the lyrics on that. Unlike Tinsel Rabbit, where Katie did most of the lyrics, I wrote the Lupinar lyrics. And they're, they're about me burying my soul in a reflection to the process of humanity losing its personal identity and becoming a hive. We're all becoming part of a hive identity where inclusion to the hive includes bearing your soul. Because if you don't, then people think you have something to hide. So yeah. now part of being trustable is to also go through this, you know, if you're not on social media, then why not? I mean, that's that's a statement that's pretty weird. And, and yeah, true. it is. It's, it's interesting, yeah. Because like the way social media has transformed the landscape of how we interact, and how we uh, identify one another. It's like, you know, you you become, you accept someone's friend request from uh, on Facebook that, you know, you might not personally know. It's like, oh, well, now they have the key to uh, a lot of personal details about you. They can know your birthday. They know where you grew up. They can know the, you know, the, the music and shows and movies that you enjoy. You know, it's like, all, all without having any kind of interaction whatsoever in, in uh, you know, conscious reality. And that's so strange. And yeah, like you said, you're just, ex you don't know what you're exposing about yourself by having like a public profile um, yep. or a virtual profile, if you will. Um, and yeah, there, there is stuff that you have, you, at this point, it's like a give and take of like what you're willing to like put on your public face and what not to um and especially as an artist um you don't really have much of a choice in that because there's a lot of because everything about you gets scrutinized you know and who'd so, have thought life would be would be um summed up by a song by rush yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> You're right and how about this statement you don't know me but we're friends on Right. I had that happen to me, you know, hey. So many times, yeah. Happy birthday. Right. You don't know me, but I know it's your birthday. Happy birthday. Those are now, you know, common occurrences when you have um, social scenes like us that are both professional and public occurring in the same space. It, it's real commonplace for people to know things and, and come up to us and communicate. But that is an opportunity 
a yeah. huge opportunity to make the personal connection. And so, yeah. you know, I never, um, you know, certainly we've had people who we don't like, who are persistent or whatever time um, vampires. And that happens in all contexts. But overall, most of those interactions from virtual friendship that translates into meeting in person are wonderful experiences. And then you're able to tie, um, you're able to tie the humanity of the digital version of someone to the smell and, and what they're wearing. And, you know, do do they like dark sunglasses or, you know, polarized sunglasses? I mean, you make these connections that then make it personal and then, you know, other, other times you may go home and unfriend them. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's what, well, that's why I like doing this show where I meet a lot of people through the internet and bring them on here to have a personal interaction with them. Yep. Um, so Kat, you said, so you, you write the, the Tinsel Rabbit lyrics primarily uh, as mentioned. So tell me about uh, what you've been writing about. Let's tell me about your lyrics. Where are they coming from? I have no idea what she writes and why, and she's still, Neither well, good. I. I hope you get an answer. Cause I, she, she's very undefined about it all. It's wonderful. <laughs> well, um, I don't know. I, it's, it's funny actually, when I used to write more lyrics, I mean, it would, uh, you know, be a thing where you start writing and, um, you know, there's that inspirational moment you're like, blah, 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 and I write things and then you've got a page and you're like, usually the first, verse or two are okay and then by the third verse you're like you know this is terrible but um or if there's a good chorus then that's fun but um no with the with the tinsel rabbit stuff uh the music was actually done first so i i think really for the yeah i mean for the first time in such a conscious way i sort of embarked on that kind of technique where you have the music playing and it's just going, you know, you just have the, the track looping over and over. And I, when I'm doing, I, you just pace around the room and then you start vocalizing, you know, <laughs> and you start making all the funny noises and you're like, what kind of vowel is this like? And yeah, just kind of getting into this headspace of, you know, like an image or scenario and then scribbling stuff down and trying not to think about it too much because if you worry about it making sense at the outset, you will be, you know, petrified. So, yeah, right. Yeah. So it's, it's, uh, um, oh God, it's, uh, I don't know, I want to say almost kind of like just sort of free association of sounds, mm-hmm. sound and free association of imagery. And then from that, you know, maybe kind of develops, um, you know, word, like word images that might suggest a story or something. Yeah. But um, yeah, I tend not to write lyrics that are very particular about one thing. Although on the Lupinari album, there is one song that I did write lyrics for because it was the one song where Paul's like, you got to sing this song. I'm like, Oh, funny <laughs> killer. Oh, yeah. I can't, yeah. Sing a song. I can't sing a song about killing bunnies. No. <laughs> yeah. Wasn't that your yeah. first single, too? Wasn't yeah, it like it was the first one? I, yeah. I, I rewrote the lyrics for that because it wasn't a previous incarnation of some project, and the lyrics were just, they were about terrible. A little more gruesome. <laughs> yeah, they, they were a little more personalized yeah, in a gruesome I can't way. Sing about that. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, I, I, um, 
you know, it's okay, well, if I'm going to sing this song, I really need to, you know, I really want to go in a different direction. So it became, a, that one in particular became a lot more metaphorical about, you know, the bunny as, you know, like an emblem of nature, of the environment, of mm -hmm. humanity. Yeah. And so, yeah, that, that one, that one is a little more sort of pointed and a little bit more political, but yeah, generally speaking, I tend to be a lot more sort of atmospheric and. Yeah. You know, right. Moody. I feel that. Moody. <laughs> yeah. Right, just the, existing in a plane of space. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, well, the I previous version of Bunny Killer was in a band I was in called Dirty Paws, which totally different musicians. And yeah, each one of the band members had their own particular bunny story. And I'll just leave it right there. Um, but it was much, much more depressing. Whereas Katie's version of Bunny Killer is more about empowerment. And it's about looking at just the value of life in a larger context. So I think that her lyrical um, content of that song um, takes it out of the, you know, my story about a bunny, bunnies, or it makes it into our story about mm -hmm. bunnies. So it, yeah. it takes it out of first person and makes it into us, yeah. song about well, and, and that's you know what I mean about being you know more metaphorical about you know oh the bunny you know the bunny's like oh sweet cute adorable wonderful but yet we're killing the bunny through you know environmental catastrophes and political catastrophe and you know all all these kinds of ills so yeah, yeah. that's that's where that one sure. it gives it a lot wider audience um you know definitely yeah that's awesome yeah I feel that it becomes a and by being metaphorical like that, it becomes like uh, almost kind of collaborative. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. So do you guys have more uh, Tinsel Rabbit songs uh, in the chamber right now? Just waiting for us to find a couple of minutes of quality time together to get those vocals down. We have three songs that were close to being done. Well, yeah. I have to do guitar on one of them. Uh -huh. And there's a drum part we have to do in another. On this stuff, while we did the initial programming with uh, the computer and the sampling machine and everything, um, we wanted a live drummer. So Chris Olkey from Reflection of Flesh joined us, oh, but he played an electronic drum kit. So um, it's live drums, but with the electronic tones, oh, which cool. um, it was a vision I had for the sound of Tinsel Rabbit that it would be human, but with the 80s tones. And Chris is such a good drummer. Um, and we challenged him to, to pull his electronic kit out and set it yeah. back up. Um, and we did use live cymbals, though, because we wanted the live cymbals because he does such great dynamics on them. Um, but Reflection of Flesh also ha has another album um, which I produced with them um, last year, coming out real soon. Uh, I think in June, June it's coming out, the vinyl. Oh, is it like, well, I, yeah, Parasitic's been released. Yeah, but the yeah. vinyl's coming out oh, in June. Okay. Yeah, Parasitic, their new album, yeah, it was cool. just released. We like that band too. That's a good yeah. band. Nice. Yeah. Awesome. yeah, I'm really lucky to be working with so much cool, uh, diverse music. Yeah, yes, you are. <laughs> and we have a gold mine of it, that's for yeah. sure. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So all that said, um, that's actually a good segue into talking more about the ring. Um, so where, so I guess like, yeah, what, what was sort of the, um, what did you guys want to do going into this idea of this live uh, show series? 
we were clueless. <laughs> we, we were floundering. You know, I had albums to mix, but all of our outdoor stuff started canceling on May 12th. No, no, no. March 12th. Yeah, March 12th yeah, last year. And, and we were we were floundering and clueless, but we had music that we were working on these albums and then some, mm -hmm. um, you know, this, this stuff that I've got going here is another album I'm working on. That's a variety of different tones. Oh, uh, whoops. Um, it's invisible. But uh, we wanted to just do our own videos. And so for fun, because we had free time on our hands that we didn't plan on because of a pandemic that whoever thought that would happen in my adult life. Yeah. We, we wanted to make our own videos. And it's so, we cleaned our shop and made some room and built a little stage. And then other people came in, friends of ours, and said, wow, you know, webcasting is, is like a thing now. And Katie had done a video series when she was reviewing oh, art. for the Shepherd Express. Yeah. yeah, the look at this art series. And so, that was really fun. And um, yeah, I, uh, I had worked with Gene Crawley on that. He was doing camera and editing. And then I was also doing editing. And I wrote some music bits for that. Cool. And that was really a lot of fun. So yeah, I was kind of, you know, missing that visual video component. And then, you know, again, with the, the proliferation of live streaming, we thought, well, if we can't do outdoor shows, maybe we do indoor shows. So and then we, you know, video that. People saw what we had going on and, and were like, wow, that, that seems like a nice space. Then we built a stage and we covered it with Marley that we got from some ballet show that they left through Marley out. And we had um, uh, Ross Sentner and Jason Fossil come in and, you know, they're great lighting designer, excellent, uh, incredible lighting designers who work with many of the larger um, theatrical organizations who were also available. We were lucky enough to get people, the tops in their fields, to come and help us um, put some lights up and make a light show look good. I had an idea and they took my ideas and made it correct. Um, so, you know, all kudos to my friends who watch my back and save me from hurting myself more. But then Katie's experience with the, both the Shepherd and the Gazette and her vision from art reviewing her history of art writing and art reviewing and working as a curator for art collections. She has a, a vision of how things could look, should look. And I have a vision of, you know, from my rock and roll perspective of how things could look. They're not always the same vision, but they came together to create this room where the lighting and the cameras presented both a rock and roll vision, but also an intimate portrait vision, depending how you use the resources we have. But the video aspect of it all, that's all cat. I still, I walk up to her world and I, it's a learning curve. I have no interest in even accomplishing. And she's back there doing the job of three people, director, editor, live mixer, video recorder, four people, video recordist, um, and sometimes we have other people come in and help because there's too much going on. Mm -hmm. But the webcast stage with the projections, I always wanted to have back projections because I've done multimedia shows with my noise machine solo act where I project slides. So I always had the idea that we'll have a background. And when we did the loop in our shows, we brought a considerable oh, amount yeah. of production <laughs> to Frank's power plant, Savatic and Linneman's. And we put up oh. a video screen and did projections while we were playing um, in back of us, we were controlled by USB foot switches while we played. Yeah, and then the little <laughs> light show, I actually had a little light board and I had lights programmed for each song. So I'm like doing keyboard stuff and then singing, but then I'm also like doing the light show. And yeah, doing a light show in the middle of playing a song, I don't know if I, you know. 
There was it's hiccups. A... There were creative hiccups. Yeah, it was never the same. But all that experience different than playing music. So. Put, putting all the video together for the loop in our release ended up teaching us the skills and making us acquire some of the resources and understanding to do it better. Yeah. Now we're working on multi-screen technology. Isadora is one of the things software, but pretty soon we'll be able Resolume. to link uh, Resolume. Yeah. We'll be able to link up multiple projectors to do combined imaging or separate imaging and better Great. screen. I'm excited. <laughs> uh, yeah. So there's th there's things in our future. Um, I want to have um, zip line stage entrance because we have an I beam. <sighs> we can enter the stage, but that's a stretch goal. Yeah. Some of my <laughs> ideas are a little wacky. <laughs> That could be like, uh, I don't know, like uh, definitely like a one-off sort of thing. Maybe if you were getting, uh, if you had the materials to be that adventurous, but that would be fun. Um, and your first one was, uh, that was classic, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was the first one in the the Ring Live Music Series. Yeah, that was classic. Yeah. And that was um, late February, was the show. Yeah. yeah oh, great. That awesome. Oh, that's fantastic. He, what a first, uh, what a great first uh artists to work with there absolutely yep. yeah we had been knocking about um we mixed where the heck did i last mix them i don't remember we had done some shows and i was always impressed and i just loved I his group times yeah yeah we've because of all the festivals we do in summer we end up we have ended up mixing some of milwaukee's you know prominent artists numerous times meeting up with them at either chill on the hill or Bayview Bash or Washington Locust Street. Park Wednesdays. Or, um, oh, yeah. And, you know, um, it's great to see the same artists coming back. And then we establish relationships, and their entire patch is still living on the mixing board. Um, and uh, Classic was just fabulous to work with. Uh, he is such an incredible artist and a visionary. And he expressed interest at the Vincent Van Great Bubbler Show in July. Mm. And he was one of the per people in the parking lot watching the show. Um, and he expressed interest at that time. So we had talked for a number of months about putting this together. And uh, but now the next stuff we have coming up, yeah, is Murder Generation, um, Vitalica. Brown. Oh, Brown's Vitalica Crew. in a uh, Bronze Crew. Brown's crew. Um, yeah, we haven't actually done the rest of the official season announcement, but I guess this is sure <laughs> close enough. This won't, this won't be out until June anyway. So yeah. oh great. Okay, so here we go. I'll see if I can remember this. Okay. June is so, Brown's Crew. Um okay, so uh yeah, so we have uh, Murder Generation in May, June is Brown's Crew, July is Vitalica. August is size five. September, Laurel Sulfate and her Ladies of Leisure. In October, on Halloween, we have Exposed Foreheads. And in November, we have You Win. Amanda, how oh. Yep. Yes. Hell yeah. You yeah. win. <laughs> that's, you win is a win. It yes. sure is. Um, that's so exciting. Uh, and man, Exposed Foreheads, that band has been around for what, decades? Wait, wait, on Halloween? What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's going to be fun. Well, yeah. guys, you know, if we'll, we'll see how things go. If, you know, there is the, the possibility of having like small audiences or something. Sure. We'll see how yeah. all that goes. But yeah. Cool. So. Awesome. Yeah. Well, that is uh, super exciting. I'm looking forward to uh, seeing you guys out in the scene. Um, you know, yeah, hopefully uh, we'll be able to get some uh, some outdoor slash limited capacity shows going on, like, you know, as the summer goes on. 
but um yeah and i appreciate you guys coming on the show today to talk all about uh what you do and why you do it um uh, we we appreciate what you do you know by making this happen and you know talking to so sure. many artists and also breaking and entering is just amazing with the posts you. that you guys do of sharing everyone's audio and video and stories so well, thank well, you it, i mean on thanks a, for having on us. a larger context what you do is part of the artistic scene because um there are people who make a living out of acquiring taste and that's a lot of work because you have to sort through a lot of stuff to determine with your own unique set of filters what you like and wish to work with and promote and that process of acquiring taste is how people like you are how i upgrade my taste because i trust people who have taste and engage with them and their virtual presence in order to not spend as much time myself doing that process so i'm stealing your ideas because you have good taste to help me (laughs) acquire some of that for myself and that's how i acquire most of the new music that comes in my life is not from me surfing i don't have time it's from friends of mine saying hey did you check out did you check out yeah yeah right right right. yeah well you know i appreciate that for having the nerve to sharing (laughs) your taste because when you share your taste you put yourself out there and you also become a target of other people who agree or disagree so i'm sure you've had experiences in that in in, you know people disagreeing with with, with what you share certainly right that happens yeah it happens right so you it takes a lot of nerve to do to be someone who's say here's what i like and why i like it you're being opinionated Thanks for having an opinion. Too many people don't have an opinion. More people should have an opinion. For sure. Yeah. And I thank you. And, you know, yeah. Like, and it's like what I love about, you know, what I'm really proud of what we do with Breaking Entering is like, you know, we try to have something for everybody in the, in the case that will inevitably occur where it's like, oh, if you don't like this, if this isn't really your thing, chances are the next thing is going to be for you. We will have something you like. And uh, we really started, especially uh, trying to feature more of the experimental and noise artists that are, you know, are in the scene that, man, like we have some real sonic wizards in, in the underground here. So oh, on our way, yeah. yeah, exactly. So on our way out, I ask everyone the same two things. Uh, the first question, uh, which I will ask each of you. Uh, so Paul, we'll start with you here. What keeps you up at night? reprioritizing what's occurred during the previous day in conjunction with what's going on in my life to try and better focus on what I have to go the next day. I go through what I'm thinking about that's changed, which in our lives is a lot, to refocus and come to balance with it. And then I go to sleep and my subconscious mind takes that task and runs with it. But Usually I'm not worrying about the world or I mean, I'm just worrying about how I can better place and organize what I have, what I've chosen for accomplishments and responsibilities to make them happen the next day, I think. Right on. Yeah. I fall in a similar caliber as well with what keeps me up. Kat, what keeps you up at night? I'd say kids. It's pawing my feet, but no. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that'll get you. Um, it's true. It's very true. <laughs> yeah. Well, 
it could be one of two things either the room is too warm or i'm just a ball of anxiety about whatever so yeah but that's that's the worst and that you know it's just i think it's the same thing that you know many people face anxieties over many many things and it changes with the day of the week or circumstances and then you have to find that way of you know sort of either I don't know, finding some sort of resolution so you can set it aside for the moment or just simply setting it aside and, you know, sort of calming oneself. Um, yeah, it's, it's funny, there's a, I was in high school and uh, I had this meditation cassette tape and it was, it was okay. I still remember the opening of it. I have no idea what happened to the tape. I wish I did. I've never listened to the whole tape the whole way through because I was always like, out like meditating or you know whatever but um no it's that sort of thing so yeah you know it could be anxieties racing thoughts indecision or the heat's just way too warm <laughs> oh yeah i need to have the window cracked at all times myself yeah. so well, on the other hand the second question is paul what puts you to sleep opera <laughs> yeah, that's pleasant <laughs> but not i'm not in the right place yeah yeah no, but <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, my dad used to my dad loves opera for sure <laughs> um cat will put you to sleep um yeah i, I like opera I, I i really enjoy live opera especially with the super titles because you know the stories are just like whoa you know, the, the drama is awesome. Um, super fun. No, what puts me to sleep is, yeah, sort of relaxation and um, yeah, sort of conscious relaxation, um, consciously, you know, just kind of getting comfy. Um, what puts me to sleep in terms of other things? Well, I don't know. I don't remember the last time I've been bored because there's just, you know, a lot of things. Yeah, here, same. I'm rarely bored when you're doing this kind of stuff, you know? Yep. Yeah. I do um, a countdown, like there's um, uh, an old meditation technique I learned. Um, when I was 11, my parents enrolled the family, me and my sister in a thing called Jose Silva Mind Control. He's a uh, Hispanic, um, like spiritual leader of Eastern philosophy in the 70s. Oh, okay. And um, we went to a Howard Johnson's in a little conference room off of the Howard Johnson's hotel lobby and learn to meditate and, uh, and do yoga and some really cool shit. So I still use the meditation techniques I learned in Jose Silva's mind control oh, when wow. I was 11, which are I count down with each breath. I do like a 10 to one countdown, one number per breath. So starting at 10, And you keep doing it. And you know, you do that, you, you're lucky to make it through a couple of the yeah. I focus on the numerical things. Yeah. Yeah. Or whatever. Or sheep. Some people do sheep. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, it, so it works. Jugglers, jugglers do bowling pins. Uh, you know, <laughs> I just gotta count jugglers next time. That'd be funny. And different yeah. things that they're juggling. I don't know. Yeah. Well, it, it, the numerics, uh, falling asleep for sure. Oh, um, you, know, you know what I do do to fall asleep? And I haven't done this in a while, but it's pretty hilarious. So um, the building that we run with all the practice rooms, 
there are so many doors. So <laughs> I mentally <laughs> go through the building and I try to count the number of doors. Oh yeah. And that will just put you to sleep as it's it's futile. So yeah. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. Well, that, wow, that's a pretty niche thing. The piles of keys we have. Or it's you could be trying to find the right key for the right door. It could take forever. Yeah. <laughs> that's nightmare. Wow, hey, that's good. Well, it's yeah. very neat. Um, thank you guys again for being on the show, Kat and Paul. This is a good time. Uh, really enjoyed hanging out with you guys, hearing about what you do. For everyone watching, I'll be tagging uh, Lupinair, Tinsel Rabbit, uh, Lova Nova. Yep. Uh, Land Productions, The Ring, so you can check out their concert series that's uh, coming up, uh, monthly and, installments. Uh, hit subscribe on The Ring Live Music on YouTube. Yes, I'll be tagging the link to do that as well. Thanks for watching, Mr. Nice Guy. We will see you next time. Thanks, Ben. Thank you.